0: Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Street Press podcast. Happy New Year! It is another year of the podcast, 2024. I hope you had a great uh, holidays. Had a kick-ass Chrissy. The hangovers have hopefully subsided, and you're probably back at work. But hey, I'm back doing the podcast again for another year. I'm stoked to be here, and at the moment, I'm actually (laughs) I'm hanging out in my kitchen. So. I've just finished an interview, which is the interview you're going to hear today. Mark Fraser, who is an absolute uh, legend. He's from the Central Coast, formerly from Sydney, and he has a record label, Vinyl Records. He he does a lot of things. Actually, he's also got a printing company where he prints band T-shirts, and he used to be one of the owners of the Lincoln Penny World Whoo, which is like sort of a punk rock institution these days. It's still going. And we had a chat about a bunch of things. We spoke about, first and foremost, a record company, Vinyl Records, which he created in the 1980s with a friend of his. Uh, they started signing a few bands, and I think it was like the third or fourth band that they signed was a band called The Hard Ons, and The Hard Ons released their very first EP. Very first time they released any music, they did it through Vinyl Records, and uh, that did extremely well for them. It sort of set the platform for where they are now and they are one of the biggest punk bands to ever come out of Australia, the Hard Ons, so Mark and I have a chat about that. We also speak about the early days, the 80s, what it was like in the Australian punk rock scene back then. Obviously, uh, in the 80s, Aussie bands were huge. It was all about, you know, the rock and roll scene. There were bands like the Choir Boys and Cold Chisel. In Excess, were dominating, but The punk scene was also flourishing as well. So we have a chat about some of the bands that were around at the time, what that scene was like, what everyone thought about punks back in the 80s. Uh, It might be a little different these days. I think the view of punks has changed over the years. Maybe for the better. Some might say otherwise. We also talk about a trip that Mark did recently just before Chrissy where he headed up the east coast of Australia. He packed his car full of vinyls and started uh, dishing them out to as many stores that wanted them. I love stories like that. I love the whole DIY. I know they're the three letters that you've heard a lot through this podcast over the 70-odd episodes, but I love it when people get up, get out, and do it on their own. And uh, and Mark is just one of those guys. He's uh, he's not going to wait around and and sit there doing nothing. He's going to get up off his backside and uh, and make his businesses work. He's uh, quite an inspiring fella. So hopefully you get a bit out of this one. This is Mark Fraser. He's no relation to me. He's got the S in his last name. I got the Z. Uh, and this is this is him. Mark Fraser, you're in the house, mates. G'day, mate. Thanks for having us.
1: How are you doing? Good, yeah, on this sunny afternoon. Yeah. I day? no idea what day of the week it is. I think it's Tuesday. Tuesday, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing well. Um, I wouldn't call it semi-retirement at the moment, but just focus on other things. Such as just label and uh,
0: t-shirt printing, really. They're my two main keys at the moment. I was going to say, you're pretty busy. I was looking at your Facebook and a couple of the websites you've got. So you've got the printing business, uh, t-shirt printing business for bands. You've got the records. Link and pin up until... Uh... Yeah, just recently I just pulled
1: out of there. Um, I mean, people say, why, why? well, two reasons, I suppose. One is my health. You know, I was on my feet for three years and my hip and back gave way. So that was a no-brainer. And it needed another serious cash injection, which I wasn't prepared to put in. So I thought, okay, well, let's pull the plug and um, focus on the label and focus on um, the printing. Uh, and since then, I sort of did a big road trip up to Maroochydore recently. That's e- right. Every, every indie store from here to Maroochydore. Some lovely people. Um, and that was great. It was business and pleasure sort of thing. And I haven't done anything like that since I was a teenager. Jump in the car and just you know, throw the records in the back and off you go.
0: Yeah, I was jealous when I saw you on your road trip heading up there. It was, looked like you got a good day every time you went to a new record store. You got photos with the people that, uh, that were there. And what made you think, I'm jumping in the car with all these records and off I go? Oh, look, you probably know. You,
1: sort of, you send people an email and you never hear back. You know, I think I sent out 90-something emails throughout the country. Uh, and I sent about 30 up to the Queensland and New South Wales coast. And I probably had three replies. Two of them to say we haven't had a store for 10 years. <laughs> A oh, it's it. bad though, isn't it? It is. But you get in people's face and it, it's, it's true. Everyone I went to, this, said, oh, I got your email. I'm so sorry I didn't respond. I said, look, I'm the same, you know. Yeah. But you get there right in front of them and you, you pull out that nice shiny package and they go, oh, that's really nice. You know? and, and pretty much every shop I went into bought uh, the whole whole
0: collection. So um, it was worthwhile. I love it because it's so old school. And when I was uh, starting my career as a journo, the advice I was given was to get your resume together and go straight into reception at any of these stations or any of these um, magazines, and just go, "Here I am. Here it is." And obviously, that uh, it still works.
1: Oh, it still works, you know. leave it at Lincoln Penn. People are coming off the street and say, "You got any jobs?" I said, "What do you do?" You know, have you got a resume? I'm not really, but I do this, this, and this. And straight away, you get a, a feeling for the personality, and you know, you know straight away whether you're going to employ them or not. Yeah. It's that face to face and having the courage to get out there. I think, but. Um, me, it was also good to meet all those record stores that I wanted to have product in and have a look at what they're selling and uh, get a feel for the flavour. And all very different, you know, everywhere from the Gold Coast up to Marooch, Door, Nambour, um, Byron, uh, Tweed,
0: Coffs. What was their reaction when you walk in the door? You know, are they used to people coming in and going, hey, here's some vinyl, would you like to buy some? Or, you know, or was it like, hey, this hasn't happened since the 80s? I don't
1: know. <laughs> I think it's a bit of both, really. I mean, a lot of people saying, oh, it's people who knew me or knew the label, knew the name, vaguely remembered the emails I'd sent. But um, I think it was quite novel for a lot of people as well because I would open up the box and say, hey, this is what we've got and this is what, you know, a little spiel on each. And, and they, it's all good artwork on most of the stuff anyway. So when you're looking at it and it's in your hands, you Ooh, I can't let that slip away, you know. Yeah. But the, the main things that people love to talk, tell me their stories. It was guys who played in bands years ago, uh, guys who were into the heavy metal sort of side sort of things, um, and people would tell me about how they got their their story. You know, how they got the store happening and uh, where they were previously. They'd moved the premises, yada yada. Uh, and it was just before Christmas too, so some of them were really stressed and some of them were like so chilled it wasn't funny, you know. Like, mm. And I think you get a good feel for people's, um, oh, you get a good feel for what to do next time you approach them, I suppose. Uh, next time I'll probably be more prepared and take up caps and take up T-shirts and that, yeah. just do the whole
0: merch thing. And you brought the merch along today oh, I did, as mate. well.
1: Shameless <laughs> <Famous> publicity, <laughs> yeah. yeah. How
0: good is this? So I've got uh, – what's the vinyl record you've brought me?
1: It's called Indie Sounds from the Sandy Coast. So yeah. it's uh, a dozen bands from the Central Coast. We uh, recorded them both and they're out in CD and, and vinyl. We did three variants of the vinyl. We did a bright red, a blue and, uh, and a yellow splatter. Um, and it's everything from power pop through to punk to pub. Talking my language. Yeah, so it's uh, – it's a cross-section and um, I still love playing it every day. It's been out a couple of months now but um, we took that on the road as well. We went down to Sydney, went up to Newcastle, Woi uh, Woi of course um, and it was good to just see people who've never experienced Sandy Coast bands get out and go, oh, well, shit, these guys are great. Where are they from? Central Coast. Yeah. So, uh, And even the name Sandy Coast because that's such a parochial term, you know, <laughs> like – and we had an argument with the girls at the cafe, like, is it C-E-N-I-E or is it C-E-N-Y? Well, apparently it's Y. Yeah. So I,
0: don't know. I would go Y. Yeah. And you've gone Y, haven't I've you? gone Y, there.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit of a blower. I've only been up here 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> Still considered an outsider. But, um, yeah, so that's the second one. The first one was um, indie sounds from um, the Harbour City, which yes. is all the bands that released uh, in the 80s. It was 10 bands, everything from the Hard Ons, the Lipstick Killers, the Psychotic Turnbuckles, Labradogs. And it was two tracks from each of them. Uh, Ben Brown did the artwork for that So that sort of really relaunched the label And you've got to think The last thing we put out Was probably 87 Wow that's 30-something years Big big break And since then Probably just over a year ago We put out 10 releases Uh, We've got them both Both the Indie Sounds Mastered at Damien Gerard's, Andrew Beck He just does an awesome job every time The first one We had stuff coming in on tape I had it on CDs I had it on digital files I had it on 7-inch records We had to get Damien Um Marshall to pull the crackles out of the, out of the records, you know. And so. is
0: that an easy thing to do? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not easy, not cheap. And then getting the artwork, the artwork took, probably took Ben two years, mm. I think, because he's very busy with bigger projects. So, yes, yeah, so it's been exciting having had the Lincoln Pen in the past. It's been great to see bands. We had 700 bands through there in three years. Oh, right. To see a band that really stands out, you got shit, on a record you guys, you know. So it was yeah. easy for me to be there and um, I suppose a privilege, I suppose, to sort of have that music delivered to you. Uh, and all those bands have played at the Lincoln Pen. Um, same with the Newcastle compilation. There's so many great newbie bands around
0: at the moment. Yeah. Well, Newcastle's always had that sort of. When it comes to the music scene, there's, they've always been right up there. Uh, I don't want to say they're the best, but <laughs> geez, a lot of great bands have come out of Newcastle.
1: Totally. Yeah. Well, you know, drugs and sport, Australian Beefworks Show, uh, not good, not bad, uh, Boudicca, you know, yeah. Just a few roll off the top of my tongue, and it's just it's such a big choice. Mm. The Hardest thing for me will be finding, I suppose. Ten or twelve that I can narrow it down to. You, know?
0: <laughs> yeah. like, you might have to do one of those. What are they? The double? Oh, man, it's too expensive. Too expensive. It is yeah. expensive, isn't
1: it? I'd love to, but you know, that's cost you as much as putting out two albums. Yeah, and yeah. that can cost you between
0: thirty and forty bucks to, to a pop, yeah. right? And then you've got to sell that. You've got to get some money back on top. So if it's you pay eighty bucks, then you need hundred and sixty <laughs> bucks. Just you know, no
1: one's going to pay that. Yeah. So yeah. that's why same with um like I was going to release turtle, turtle Custer, but they're shorter songs, like five or six minutes. You know, and that's like their songs, they're these funkadelic sort of trips, they go, they're brilliant yeah. I said, look, you need to either put a, a you know, shorten your tracks or we'll do a, a single album <laughs> and it was like, blasphemy um, You cut out the bridge <laughs> yeah, yeah, cut out most of it But no, they're, they're a great band and um, they're on the compilation there as well But I think they've got a whole album ready to go But it's just too much to put on one yeah. one slab, you know I said, we'll do a CD, but they weren't keen on that But uh CDs still sell as well as yeah. as, as records. I've heard um, that.
0: I mean, we've got uh, – the band's got a few CDs as well. And, you, and you, yeah, you see, them, you see them move. I think I, to- I was speaking to you at the Lincoln Pin when we played there and I was, I was saying all your merch ends up sort of going. Yeah. It's just a, all about the marketing, how you get it out totally. there. And and some people don't think the CDs move anymore, but yeah. they do. Oh, no, they do. Tell me about the the beginnings. I know that you had a record label before you had vinyl. We're talking – 1980-something.
1: A million years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, record, a label <laughs> called um, Suspect Records Yeah, and I had Suspect Management. And that all came from a band I was in called Suspect Device. That was my first band, so everything was for Suspect. Hmm. So Suspect Records, you put out The Conspirators. It was the first and only seven inches of that time on that label. And that was all the guys who went on to become psychotic turnbuckles. Well, most of them did and a couple of the others moved into a band with me called The 22s. But The Conspirators, uh, they played a lot of local gigs a Great Live. Um, that sold out really quick. I remember we had, um, we had a deadline because we had a launch and the covers weren't ready, so I said, just give them. So we spent all night sitting there, fricking covers and gluing them, putting rocks on them, glue, but put rocks, you know. So we had, like, enough for the next day to sell for the launch at Mossman Hotel. But that's the shit you do in those days. It was all hands-on. So uh, – and then John Heath, who uh, ended up being my partner in uh, vinyl records, he, he was, he was uh, the brother-in-law of um, Dave, Dave Taylor, Lipstick Killers drummer, and he had these tapes. He's still got these, they got these songs, of Lipstick Killers. Um, Sockman and and um, pinching a pie. I'm going to release it on this label. He said, Do you want to get together and start our own? I said, shit, yeah. So vinyl records was was born.
0: And the Hard Ons release is is the first release by the Hardhorns, isn't it?
1: And it? First thing they ever released. I remember Blackie was talking about it when we launched the uh, the compilation album. He was yeah. almost in tears, going, "I was sitting at home one day and the record arrived. He goes, I couldn't believe this is us, you know, on yeah. record. And for me, that's pretty pretty good um, accolades from a guy who's just been music all his life you know he can write a song a day for a whole year it's insane but um yeah, the very first thing they ever recorded and I was, I was just proud of that the uh that still sells you know I, as I said I still sell i got three left of the original pressing yeah they're not going anywhere yeah I know I was gonna say that's a <laughs> rare staying.
0: that hard-ons record was in the first four that you've recorded and mm-hmm. it did really really well didn't it like yeah we, it,
1: we did two pressings I think before I went overseas and then it was one another one while I was overseas because 84, 85, we lose pretty much most of the, the bands that we had. And then I went overseas for about a year and a half, as you do, and just, you know, party party and discovered snowboarding and came back and was one of the first boarders in the country and completely changed my focus onto T shirts and branding and that sort of stuff. And, uh, uh, but as far as the hard ons went, yeah, that, that just, um, it was a great band to have in our, you know, this fledgling yeah. independent label. And I walk into, um, with, um, Phantom records, and they go, oh, okay, how many have you got in the box there? 20 will have the whole lot, you know. Yeah, right. Every time uh, you walk into Double J or Triple J, I think it might have been by then, we used to go on the Saturday mornings with Mal and Vic, and we'd just talk about the releases, you know, you go and put a hard on single in, yap about it, go home, see you later. That can't happen nowadays, unfortunately, because it's all so far planned ahead.
0: So you'd, you'd have the records, you'd jump in the car, go to Triple J, mm. bang on the door, and they'd sort of just go, yeah, on you go, turn yeah, on the mic. And great, and, you know, <laughs> you think it, I think
1: that was, but that was considered the norm. I think about that now. Like, Fuck Mm. It's so much harder to get in, to get, in, get your foot in the door, I think. But Triple J is a whole other beast now. It's, it's, you know, maybe I'm just too old. But it's still, I still like listening to it. There's some great bands I pick up from listening to it. And I think,
0: wow, why didn't I sign them? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah is, there, is there anyone that you had the chance of signing but you didn't sign? East, East and Dark.
1: East and Dark just before James died. Um, just before we went overseas, someone gave me a – might have been Vince – gave me a demo tape on a cassette of um, Johnny and Dee Dee and Julie is a Junkie, which to this day are classic Australian uh, songs. And the, the original release of that still pulls good money. And it wasn't that I didn't want to do it, so I didn't trust my business partner at the time taking over the release of it. Right. By that time, you know, anyway. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I do regret that. Um, most people that know me know what my musical taste is, and they know like they're a funk bin or a jazz bin I don't want to know about it. Yeah, you know, cause I hate junk, hate funk, I hate jazz. <laughs> well, I like funkadelic, which is what Turtle Custard are. But um, no, they're probably the Eastern Ducks are the one bin I do regret.
0: I'm sure when the hard ons released their thing, it did quite well. You must have gotten a few people coming coming at you with uh, with music. Oh, back in the days too, it was a cassette tape.
1: Someone sent you cassette tapes. You had a whole freaking box. You had to drag around every bit to try and listen yeah. to it. And it's hard to say no, you know. But the bottom line is, it costs you money to put something out. Mm. I came across a, a test pressing of a band called Jawbone Green. I vaguely remember them, but I don't know whether we put that test pressing out or they sent it to me or what, you know. Because right. <laughs> there's no details on it. And I tried to put something on Facebook to find out. Well, did you send me this? Did we put it out or what? Um, I remember seeing them live, but there's so, there was so much stuff that came across. Um, uh, and then in, moving forward in '99, I put on a festival called Sandpit, and we had like who um, was it? Toe to Toe Night across Body Jar. Oh uh, nice. Test eagles The tenants They were really big with shit me to tears At the time
0: How do you tee up a festival?
1: You get on the phone For lots of hours <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah You've got to hope
1: That this thing's Going to be successful It's going to Well it pissed down Rain for six weeks before And it stopped for two days And then started again The day after So bad that the truck For the stage Was stuck in the middle Of a football no. field And the football club Was ringing me Going threatening to kill me <laughs> <laughs> this the Arabian party. So the truck stuck in the Couldn't move It was too it Just dug holes You had to wait till it stopped oh raining fine. And it dried out um, but there was so many things to worry there. We couldn't serve alcohol because the council said you can only put it on if you don't have booze. So we had booze backstage with the bands
0: and that. Um, How was the 80s? If we're talking cold chisel, we're talking, um, you know, rock bands, um, mm. the choir boys, um, the list goes on, they were doing really well. Let's talk about the punk scene in the yeah. 80s. How was that? Oh, they had so many venues. You know, you did, everywhere from the Civic Hotel, the Vulcan
1: Hotel, what was the one underground on William Street? Rock Garden, yeah. Uh, plus, all, every suburb had something. It had Narribin Sands was happening. It was like it was seven nights a week. It really was. That's it, what people say. It's just you it sort of got to a point you had to have a night off. And I was writing for Drum Media at the time, so I was going to all the launches and all the releases, and it was free booze at most of these things. So I quickly became an alcoholic, I <laughs> think, as you do when you're a, a young punk. Um, yeah. But the scene was strong, so you knew if you put out a record that sort of tainted at people's desires, well, you're going to sell it. Um, you had so many different. Sectors in that whole punk thing you had. You'd be walking past the trade union at three in the morning, cause <laughs> which is early for the trade union, mm. uh, and there'd be a bunch of punks over there. The Skinny punks, and there'd be the Mohawk punks, and there'd be the teddy boy punks. You know, and be, fuck, which, which one do I <laughs> want to not look like so I don't get punched? You know, and it was like that. It was all about the image. It was all about the fads. And um,
0: I suppose if you're not a punk or you're not into punks, if you see a punk, especially in the eighties, you probably walk the other way, didn't oh, yes, you? you do. And people did,
1: you yeah. know, like a... I said, "Really, I was, look, I was a surfing one minute and a punk the next, sort of thing, you know, it was kind of weird. But just there's the way I went. I grew up in the Northern beaches and suddenly going and seeing bands in the city, lipstick killers and that. And you go, fuck, I'm probably not safe being a long-haired hippie here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it didn't. It just felt good to sort of feel part of the scene, I suppose, and look part of the scene. But, yeah, people would cross the road. I remember <laughs> probably just after I left here when I, we were going into New York City, The mate of mine, we were travelling, we were too scared to drive in, so we parked... New York or something got a train or something or whatever. I don't know, but we didn't go in for three or four days. We wanted to have a growth set in our face, so we looked like you know bums, because <laughs> was that kind of thing about New York. You know, you can't look at people the wrong way, which yeah. is bullshit. Once we got in there, it was an awesome city, but there's so many little good venues. We went and saw uh, Mink DeVille at the Lone Star Cafe. We saw Lloyd Cole at East Second East Street or something. Yeah. That was the worst toilet on the planet. I tell you, it was full. It was covered in shit, <laughs> and it was one of those nights where you got the runs, <laughs> and you're finally looking around, and go shit, there's no toilet paper. So you find a. A cigarette pack on the ground, you'd rip it apart. Yeah. Oh, man.
0: But going to these venues and all these places that you loved, did that spur you on to thinking one day I want to have a place like this I can have bands like such as the Lincoln Pin? Is that sort of what led to you um, jumping in and getting the Lincoln Pin? Yeah,
1: I guess it's all part of it. Like back in the day I used to book the Oswick Hotel over at Leichhardt and the Mossman Hotel on a Wednesday night so that I had my foot in the door with venues that I liked going to. Back then it was it was – bit of a pipe dream to own anything but you could sort of get in on a night sort of as as a booker sort of thing but yeah like um it was I suppose a link up Pin was a culmination of everything I've been a part of for all those years and when we did open that it made sense to relaunch the label it made sense to restart doing t-shirts again because I used to do that years ago Mm. and it all tied in because bands want shirts bands want to be released and it was just it all made sense you know it's uh it was the perfect sort of um circle so so to speak but uh it's not easy. It's bloody hard running a venue. It's yeah. just it's just money, money, money. You know, They're going out and coming in. Um, but you do it because you love it, I think. And the bands that come along, they appreciate it. And we always make sure we pay the bands. Not a lot of money, but at least you pay them. And hear stories of bands playing in Sydney where they've got to share 21 bucks between you know three bands or something. that's not right. <laughs>
0: not right. You know? We felt very accommodated when yeah, we good. got there. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. I mean, just such a good vibe in yeah, that place, yeah. and and everyone sort of. Everyone's on the same level Everyone's keen to Watch original music yeah. Or you know Yeah I'm sure There's cover bands and stuff But you know It seems like the general vibe Is yeah Let's get st- oh, it's, it's, it's
1: a buzz for me Just watching people come in Because the majority Of the people are there Or probably 99% Come for the music You know If you want to go have a fight Or a buffet Or pick up girls You go up to the Bayview You know <laughs> And then you get kicked Out of the Bayview You try and get in here And we kick you <laughs> out of there So so we never sort of Tried on Bayview's toes And they didn't really Care about us But uh, what led up to that Too prior to that Like um I think myself and Millie and Adam were all approaching other places To try and put bands on And unless you're a cover band Or wanted to put mm-hmm. cover band They didn't want to know yep. about it I said shit What are we going to do And this came up We just snapped it You know yeah. Someone said this is, uh, this is available We went and had a look Two weeks later We, we owned it Holy So it was shit. that quick It wasn't any thought It was just we wanted to do it Didn't care whether anyone came or not We just sort of we'll, we'll Put bands on And see what happens And you know, three years later, they're still going strong. And uh, as I said, over 700 bands in that time, which is pretty good. And that's a lot of different bands. We've had, you know, the likes of Steve Kilby. We've had bands from Japan,
0: bands from um, England, States, you know, Jenny Danton, and the Spurs. Yeah, you guys are pretty... Um I don't know, well, what's the word? Well-sourced, like, uh, you know, people are keen to play there. Yeah, like, and yeah. they're like you guys, you know, like Blackie, for example, yeah. from Hard Ons, like when I had him on the podcast, you know, middle of last year, he was saying he'd basically do any. If you called him <laughs> to do anything, I reckon if you called him yeah, to, to change the back fence or something, <laughs> he'd, he'd have a crack with you. Yeah, yeah, he's a good bloke. But that's it. see, you build relationships with
1: people, you know, and like for us, all three of us had you know, strong music involvement, to have somewhere on the coast that's original. You I know, mean, you got Drifters now, you've got Mumbos and that, but prior to that it was just us, you
0: know. It is harder to get into a lot of the venues, I suppose, if you're an up-and-coming band because I think a lot of the venues are sort of run by an agency mm. or whatever, which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If You you know, to, to be able to jump in a an Uber and go and see Grinspoon five minutes away <laughs> is pretty pretty good, you <laughs> know, so I, I can't shit-can that, but it is harder for the bands to come up and that's why the Lincoln Pin was so great yeah, or no. is so great.
1: And that's that's one thing we really focused on too. That we always put local bands like up and coming, like the bands like Shacked. I, one of their first gigs was there, and I've released their first album, about to release their second. And then they were sixteen when they recorded. You know, and like they played at school, and that was it. Yeah. And to suddenly have a stage, and for us to have, sort of put a band like that on, and have fifty to sixty kids come out of the woodwork, they'd never had seen the band live on on stage before. It was brilliant. But there's just so much good talent, you know, like. Um, and that's the whole point of the albums is taking bands from a certain area and showing them to the rest of the country you know? and that's why I'm excited about that.
0: And, and like we said at the top, you're not just doing the vinyls and stuff, you're doing the T-shirts. Where, where did this – how long have you been doing the T-shirts? 87, I launched Redback Surf and Snow. I came back from overseas
1: and I was one of the first snowboarders in the country and uh, I started – I was working at the Sun Deck down at Parish, you know, just pulling beers and teaching snowboarding at lunchtime and then I thought oh, – should do a shirt. So I got it made one. We did a design, Perisher Valley Snowboarders, you know, and put it on the front of the bar and just sold out in a little week. And I worked there. I was making more money selling those and working at the bar. So <laughs> I launched Redback Surf and Snow and put out a whole range of clothing, apare, and the first shop I walked in, this bought three or four grand worth of gear, which is Snow Mountain Sports. So for the next six years, I just had back-to-back snowboard seasons uh, paid for by my clothing that I was printing, you know, and that led into sort of doing customs screen printing and whatnot. We did things like Rip Curl, Bakers Delight. the Lie, so, and then I'd got out of a few years, but um, once we, as I said, once we got a pin, all these bands wanted shirts, uh, and that's most of my workload is
0: bands. Well, they say when you're in a band, you're basically a glorified T-shirt salesman or woman, you know, because that's it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's totally. how you can—that's how you can make a bit of cash, right, yeah, by yeah. selling T-shirts. And so you're doing them custom. Mm. Um, do you come up with a logo, or do they come to you with the logo? Bit of both.
1: You know, most bands got, got know what they want. Yeah, if it looks really shit. I say, look, why don't we try this? You know, but most bands have an artistic person in the band, yeah. which is great. Um, but most of the traffic I've had has been band traffic, labels, you know, Mitch, um, Hiss and Cracker Records. Uh, we've had Mould Wine. This week I we got a job for Central Coast Stand Up Paddling, you know, completely different. But they'd seen someone with a shirt, where would you get that shirt, blah, blah, blah. So it's all, you're right, you walk out the door on that shirt, but, but where'd you get that? Oh, so Mark, he prints them, you know. And
0: One job leads to another sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, totally.
1: Um, and the only marketing I do is online. It's yeah. either Facebook and Insta.
0: Well, I'll, um, I'll add the link to the printing at Excellent. the bottom of this episode so that if there's bands out there listening right now, you're thinking, you know, some of the bigger companies are overpriced or whatever, I'm sure you guys have... Yeah, we you, look after
1: them. We always look after bands. I mean, we're pretty close to the bone, you know. Yeah. As I said, having been there and done that... I and the quality's
0: like, good. It's not just way. like... No, it's not shit. It's not just tear it away. I've been doing it for
1: so many years. i what it to good? Um, but there's a few people out there doing shirts, but people... A lot of my work re- repeat customers as well.
0: Yep. And I think, um you said earlier before, you, you work for a street press, so I think it's fitting that you're on the street press podcast. <laughs> uh, makes sense, <laughs> makes did, sense. You, did you
1: like being a journo? Oh, I loved it. Are yeah, you still, still a journo? I still am, yeah, well. Good. I, I was on the street, which became Drum Media, probably over 10, 15 years, and I loved it. You know, you go and see festivals and gigs, it was all free. It's um, the best, isn't it? <laughs> And just doing what you love and get a little bit of money for it. And you need not get rich as an independent journalist, but I've always loved that. And I, then I worked for a company called Rush TV and they went under and I started RedbackRock.com, which is like my version yeah. of online street press. And I was quite prolific until Lincoln and Pin took over, you know. I like still see gigs and write about it, but the point came I didn't have time to write stuff or take photos. But I always loved writing. I've always loved writing about anything. Um, and now that I've sort of got uh, out of Link and Pin, I think there's more time for me to ca- take up on the writing and that. And I'm looking to take a band on the road. I won't tell you who yet because we haven't, we haven't put anything in play. Yep. In b- about July this year, we're doing a New South Wales tour up to K- and then up to Queensland, and they will coincide with their new album
0: release. Brilliant. I'll tell you, there's line. I want to say, I love Island. So. I love line. <laughs> oh, I love too. Yeah, yeah. Bobby. Uh, bo- well, Bobby's listening right now. He, uh, yeah, Bobby. he he listens every single week. So, yeah. um, and he's a good man. He's yeah, good man. he's a great guy. And um, actually, did you, I don't know how long ago you knew him, but he used to have the big blue mohawk. Yeah, no, you, you no. never. <laughs> All right, Bob. You're going to have to send a message. <laughs> well, we're talking to to you through the uh, podcast. You got to have to send that to, uh, photo of you with the blue mohawk. That's, That's what I to
1: so there's a few things in plan. I said Shaq's new album's going to be coming out. We've got Shaq, we've got Lion Island, we've got uh, I'm talking about possibly putting a band out from LA. Yep. I won't tell you then, mate, but if that comes off, that would be good.
0: I'm glad I'm glad you're saying all this because I was going to say, so what's in store for this year? Oh, it looks yeah. like it's going to be
1: massive. It's going to be massive. And then the new compilation will sort of start on that yep. this week, I think. I'll start putting – the way that works, I'll put out feel to all the bands mm-hmm. I want to put on there and there's it's, it's never been a no, which is good. Um, then we look at the artwork. Then we look at the um, the, the variants. You know, whether I usually to do, do 150 with the compilations. That sells pretty well. I uh, also put a CD out. I've always toyed with doing tapes and cassettes, but
0: the, the, it's kind of cool. They just don't sell. Someone was telling yeah. me that cassettes are sort of they sort of work, but I haven't I haven't spoken to a single person that sort of said to me in the, say the last five years that yeah. they bought one. So I don't know. I still buy. Them. My son buys them, but he just buys them to put them on his shelf. He
1: does play them. Yeah. I'd um, love to have the.
0: I don't have the player. I wish I did. Yeah, you I wish I, I did. One. Yeah,
1: and then it wasn't working. So spent 150 bucks getting it fixed. Blah blah. <laughs> but they're dearer to put out than bloody CDs. You're so, kidding, you know? Like CDs, six bucks or something. Yeah. So we know, we don't do any uh, tapes. We just do CDs and vinyl. And vinyl's the main thing. Yeah. That's the name. Um, and I get excited seeing it in show I get excited when it comes out and you open that box for the first time you pull out the first record.
0: It's oh, no better feeling. It's unruly smell. You know? Yeah.
1: And you put it on going hope it plays. <laughs> you know, that test pressing is always a worrying time.
0: Well, so. I'm going to put your vinyl on uh, after this interview yeah, and, and hopefully it plays. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Mark Fraser, thanks so much thanks, for jumping John. on uh, all, the, all the things you've done. Thank you for the Lincoln pin. Thank you for vinyl records. Thank you for the hard-ons. <laughs> I'm going I'm to say that you're the reason – That we know about the hard-ons, you know. And you're printing T-shirts, big year for you. So uh, thank you so much for jumping on the street. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Yeah, there he is, Mark Fraser from Vinyl Records. He also runs Coastal T-shirt Printing. The link, like I said, is now in the show notes. So if you're in a band or maybe you've just got a business, you want to get some T-shirts printed, click on the link in the show notes right now. And have a chat with Mark. As you can tell, he's a stand up bloke, lovely fella, very approachable. Uh, get it done. All right, it's time for this. Letters! Yeah, this is the part of the show where you can write on in. Go to the streetpresspodcast.com forward slash letters. You write it, I might read it out. See how we go. It's everyone's favourite segment. It's also the only segment that we have had. <laughs> it's the only segment that we have ever had on the street press podcast but yeah if you want to write me something hit that link in the show notes uh matthew kong actually i put up on the street press instagram page which you can follow uh on monday nights i asked people hey have you got anything you'd like to say on the show and matthew kong wrote in he said jared matthews is a dirty rotten shirt ruiner i don't know what it means (laughs) I don't know what that means, Matthew, but uh, Jared is obviously uh, the bass player in the Ritzy Kids, which is the band I'm also in. Uh, I will pass that on to him, Matt. He, I know he does listen to this podcast, so um, uh, he's probably up on a on a ladder right now and he's just heard what you've said about him. He's a dirty, rotten shirt ruiner. I uh, Might have to Google what that means or maybe just ask you uh, what it means. Also, I got a really, really lovely uh, message over the break and... I think you've heard me say this a lot on the podcast before. I never really know who's listening. I know that there are people listening because I've got data. Or I've got a few numbers flicking over every week. But, you know, you never know who those people are. They don't give me profiles or anything that like that. And I think it should stay that way. I think uh, listening to a podcast is quite a private thing anyway. So, But uh, every now and then I get someone reach out. And this message that I got was from a guy I don't know. Well, I didn't know up until now. And I didn't know that he was listening. But uh, he wrote a really lovely message in. I won't say his name just for his own privacy, but he he, he wrote this in. He says, hey, mate, as a muse myself, I don't really do this, but I've been a long time listening to your podcast and finally got around to checking out your band. Not sure why it took me so long as genre-wise, it's just what I like and a similar type of music. Uh, anyway, I just want to give you props for your tune, Hey, Son. I lost my dad suddenly last year and your song just sums up the whirlwind of continuation whirlwind and continuation of emotions that come with it um it means a lot to hear that that's obviously a song that I wrote about my dad and you know you write those songs in a bedroom and you hope that you'll release them one day and then when they're out there in the ether you don't know where they're going to go who's going to be listening who's going to even care and uh I'd love to say that I get messages like that all the time but I don't (laughs) and uh, I was really uh Firstly, I, I felt sorry for you after getting that message. Um, it's a shit time when you lose someone so close, uh, especially your father. It can be really, really tough. And I know what that's like. I know what it feels like. And I know how powerful music can be uh, during that period where you're you're grieving. And um, I've got to say that I'm, I'm really chuffed that one of my songs has been able to help you out um, because music helped me out. And I was listening to a bunch of bands when that happened and there's nothing better than music. It gets you through. So thank you so much for writing that in. It feels a little self-indulgent reading that message out. But I just thought, um, you know, I know you're listening and I just want you to know that that meant a lot. And I really, really, truly from the bottom of my heart hope that you're doing really well. All right, I think that'll do for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, if you want to support the podcast that supports the artist, you can go uh, to the members page on the website. That's also in the show notes right now. Next week, we will have an artist on, an Aussie artist, I think. Yes, it is. Also, I'll have some news about my band, the Ritzy Kids. We are playing a show this month. If you live on the Central Coast, you will not want to miss it. Until then, I hope you have a great week. Take care of yourselves. I'd love to have your ears back here same time next week. Till then, ta-da.